You know, I'll never cease to be amazed at the people today who feel like they can walk through this thing called life, experiencing their faith journey and saying that they're a child of God and not wanting to be in a room like this, worshiping like this. Like, I don't get it. Because when you walk in here, I, listen, I know I feel it, and I hope you do as well. Like, man, it is amazing the presence and the power of God when you come to, together as the family of Christ, the body of Christ, and you just sit there and you just talk about who he is, you sing about who he is, you celebrate who he is, and through baptism and open his word. Like, it changes everything. Like, why would you want to miss this? Now, I know you're not because you're here. That's great. But there are some of you who are not here. Man, this is an amazing thing that we get to do to celebrate the goodness of God. What a gift. Hey, let's pray together before we open God's word. Father, today we thank you for who you are. God, we are so grateful. God, we are so overwhelmed. God, we are so unworthy. But God, we thank you that you love us anyway. God, we thank you that you have extended your grace and your mercy to us in ways that we could never comprehend and certainly never deserve. And Father, for that, we stand here today and we just simply collectively say thank you. And God, we pray now that as we open your word, we also say thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth that it gives to us in a time when truth is such under attack. God, we thank you that, that we can hold this word in our hands and know that it is alive and it's powerful. So God, speak to us today. And Father, I pray that if there's someone here, someone watching or listening today that has never come to that moment where they've said, okay, I believe that Jesus is God's son and I believe that he died and that he rose again for me. Father, I pray that before this time is over today, I pray they will pray that prayer. I pray that they will believe in Jesus, that he died and that he rose again and that today would be the day of salvation for them. God, we rejoice in advance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to the book of 2 John, in case you're wondering where it is. It's immediately following 1 John. And we've been in 1 John for the last, like, six weeks, and we finished up that book last week. Today we're going to be in 2 John, and we're going to cover the entire book in one sermon. Now, some of you are saying, like, how can he do that? Well, you don't know your Bible rule. It's 13 verses. It's not a big deal. Like 14. We're going to cover this really quick, right? It's not a big deal. But, man, a small book with a lot of truth and a lot of power. And today that's what we're going to talk about. Now, again, for those of you who maybe haven't been with us this summer, maybe you're just kind of getting back in or maybe you're brand new here today, let me just give you a quick Cliff Notes version of what we've been doing, walking through the epistles of John, letters, three letters that John wrote, the Apostle John, uh, that he wrote towards the end of his life, the one we're going to cover today. He wrote somewhere about 95, 96, 97 A.D., 60 plus years after Jesus died on the cross and ascended back into heaven after his resurrection. So now 60 plus years removed from that experience, from that moment that we read about in the gospels. He's the last apostle still living. He is the last man standing and all of the others have been martyred or they've died and he is there. He's sitting in Ephesus and uh, Jerusalem has been destroyed back in 70 AD. So it's actually like 25 plus years after Jerusalem had been destroyed. And here he is writing this incredible little, small, short little letter to a church that was in disarray, to a church that was under attack, to a church that was experiencing the pressure of Truths that were being changed. 
Now, the reason I say all of that, again, is to underscore that what they were going through back then is not much different than what we're going through today. That what they were experiencing in those moments are a lot like what we're experiencing now. Because in case you haven't noticed, truth is under attack today, right? And we know that in churches that truth is under attack. Our faith is under attack. And people are questioning. They are they're dismissing. They're discounting. They're, they're diminishing this idea, this picture of that we have an opportunity with a relationship with God because of what Christ has done. And people are saying, that doesn't matter anymore. It's not relevant. I'm here to tell you today, it was relevant back in 95 AD. It is relevant today. In fact, it's more relevant today. And it will be relevant until the day that Christ returns. Because if we do not anchor ourselves to the truth of the gospel and the truth of God, the truth of his word, and the truth of Jesus Christ as his son who came to take away the sins of the world, who died and who rose again, if we do not anchor ourselves to that truth, then what is the point? There is none. That we have nothing left to live for. That we have nothing left to truly find joy and contentment and peace in. And I know that everybody in this room like if I asked you, hey, are you looking for joy? Are you looking for peace? And you're looking for contentment. Like everybody would say, well, of course. Like obviously that's the point of life. The problem is we live in a culture. We live in a world. Remember, not a globe, but like in the, the, the cosmos. Like, like the people of the world, the ornaments of the world, the things of this world. We live in a world today where they think the point of life is something radically different than what God said it is. And I want you to know, according to God's word. Everything that the world says is important outside of the gospel and the power of Christ. It is not true. Now, obviously, there are things that are important. My granddaughter turns two tomorrow. That's important to me. Like, that's an important thing for our family. We celebrated this baptism this morning. That was an important thing to that family. There are lots of important moments and important situations and important things that, that are in our journeys and jobs are important and graduating. All that stuff is important. But when it comes to the ultimate importance of the point of life, we are here to bring glory and honor to God, to have a relationship with him that leads us to eternity with him. That is the point of life. And so that's what John is trying to get across. Now remember, John is writing this well up into his 90s. Like he's an old dude and he's sitting there. And in fact, like we're going to even talk about it a little bit today. Like what kind of some of the things that he says is like he finally gets to the point. He doesn't even call himself an apostle anymore. He doesn't sit there and say, you know, I walked with Christ. And so therefore I know like he doesn't. Even go, he just basically starts this book by saying, dude, I'm old. Now, if you're looking in your Bible, you will not find those words in your Bible. I promise you. It is a totally different translation. Uh, that, that, what I just gave you is like the, you know, the Jonathan translation. It's not there, but basically that's what he says. So let's go. Second John, let's read these verses just briefly, quickly today. 13 verses that I believe like a power-packed punch that we all need, okay? So here's what he starts with, the elder. So he starts by saying, listen, the old guy's writing this. The old dude in the room is writing this. So listen, that's basically what he says. So the elder... He says, to the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. Now, I want to stop right there. I just want to like just give a quick statement of what that means so that we can move on. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it. When it says to the elect lady, he is not writing to a representative who just won in the election who's going to Washington to represent them. That's not who he's writing to. 
He's writing to the elect lady. Who is the lady he's writing to? It's not a person at all. It's the church. It's the bride of Christ. He's writing it to the church. He's writing it to you and to me. And he says to the elect lady and her children. Hey, let me ask you a question really quickly. Elect lady and her children. Who does that mean? Come on, this is an easy question. It means you. It means me. He's writing this to us. So let's keep reading. Verse 3. Um, verse 2. Because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from, uh, from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth, in keeping with the command that we've received from the Father. So now I ask you, dear lady, let me interject the word here. I ask you, church, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is his command, the command, as you've heard it from the beginning, that you walk in love. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourself so that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home. And don't even greet him, for the one who greets him shares in his evil works. Though I have many things to write paper and ink instead, I hope to come to you and talk to you face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send you greetings. Now again, last verse, verse 13, the children of your elect sister, who is that? He's talking about the, the, another church. Like, so another church is sending greetings to this church, and that's what he says. So we took care of the front, and we took care of the back of this chapter. Now let's dig into the meat, the section, uh, the middle section of this chapter that has a lot of incredible truths. And the first thing we want to talk about today is the hope of love. The hope of love. Go back to verse, uh, verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and in love. Now, in this verse, he gives us some uh, five words that are pretty important words. Like five words that probably you have seen like in memes on Instagram or Facebook, right? So grace and mercy and peace and truth and love. You've seen something like that, right? You've seen words like that to pop up on your computer screen or on your phone where people use those to give us ideas. And so we talk about this idea of love that this book really is kind of pushing towards. And just like 1 John, talking about the idea, the power, the presence of love. And so what he says right up front, grace, mercy, and peace. Now let me just give you a quick understanding of what that means. Grace, mercy, and peace. So grace is God giving to us something that we do not deserve. He's extending to us a kindness. He's extending to us a gift that we do not deserve, and that is the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. So grace be to you. Second word, mercy. And this is a cool one where grace is what God gives to us in what we do not deserve. Mercy is God refraining from giving to us what we do deserve. And guess what all of us deserve? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, makes it very clear, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God as a result of that. Romans 6 says this, and the wages of our sin is what? Death. Spiritual and physical death. 
that through one man, Adam, sin entered into the world. And because of that sin, because of that one man, now death has entered into the world. It is appointed unto man and women. Women, you don't get off easy here. It's appointed unto man and a woman once to die. Like, we have been given the gift of death. God bless you. Have a great day. That is exactly what mercy is all about because what we deserve is spiritual death and physical death. We deserve to be separated from God for eternity. That is what we deserve. But John says this, oh, but God, in his infinite love for you, he gives you grace, what you do not deserve. He gives you mercy. He's, he refrains from giving you what you do deserve. And it culminates in this word, peace. Something that we never could attain on our own. Something that we can never get to all by ourselves. And that's what comes not through how much money you have in the bank, not what job you have or what power you have or what degrees you have. It doesn't matter what kind of car you drive. It doesn't matter what kind of house you live in. That's not where you find peace. You find peace in the fact that because of the grace and the mercy of God through his son, Jesus Christ, it changes everything. Now he says that right up front in verse 3. But then he quickly goes on to tell us this. He says it comes from God the Father, right? We understand that through his son, Jesus Christ. But then he says this, in truth and in love. Now remember last week, if you were here, I told you the key word of last week's sermon was the word know, if you remember that, right? So the, the two key words for this week are truth and love, okay? Truth and love. Two key words for what we're going to talk about here today. What we're going to walk through as we walk through this passage in the next few moments. So we already talked about the hope of love, right? That it comes through the grace and the mercy and that it extends to and it becomes, it culminates in the peace that God gives to us. But then we also recognize now as he gets into the meat of this passage in verse 4, he also helps us to understand that love, which is something that we have hope in, something that we look forward to, that, come, that comes from Christ, that we have love and that love actually comes through obedience. Look what it says in verses 5 and 6. So now I ask you, church, dear lady, church, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is the command, as you've heard it from the beginning, that you walk in love. Now there are two parts, as we just read, right? And so one was actually that we're to love, right? And the other is that we're to obey, right? And so that's truth and love. Now, it goes back to Matthew chapter 22 when Jesus said, if you remember, when he was asked, what's the most important commandment? He said this, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How do we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Now, certainly we love him by coming to church, what we're doing here today. We love him through, you know, worshiping and singing out praises to him. Yes, that's the way you love God. We love God by serving Him. Today, serve Sunday. And yes, we love God by serving. We serve in the nursery. We serve in you know, all the different elements of the church. So, yeah, we love God through that. But one way that you love God is that you obey Him. Remember back in 1 John? It actually said that if you love Him, you will keep His commandments. If you love Him, you will obey Him. And so truth and love, the idea is, yes, we're to love one another, but yes, we're also required to walk in love. How do we walk in love? By doing what God calls you to do, truth and love. Remember, why is it that John is writing these letters? Again, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because we've talked about it all summer long. It's because there were people within the church that were trying to change the narrative of the gospel. There were people in the church that were denying that Jesus was deity, that he was the son of God. 
They were denying that he was God who came in flesh. They were saying that, that they had this special knowledge. Remember, we've talked about this over and over again. And so John is writing this to refute the false teaching that was so prevalent within the church. And so he wants to say, like, hey, man, walk in love, church. Like, walk in love, and you walk in love, and this is love, that you do what God has called you to do. Why? Because the Gnostics believed in the evil of things, the evil of matter. So in other words, they felt like, because they had a special knowledge of God within their hearts and within their minds, that their physical bodies, that they thought were just matter, they were evil things of this world, that because they had this mystical knowledge of God, that they could live however they wanted to live. And so they lived in sin. And that's why 1 John so often says, like, hey, don't keep on sinning. If you're of God, don't sin. And so they believed they could do whatever they wanted. It's this false teaching that was pervading the church. Guys, don't miss this. Today, that attack is more powerful than it was even back in first century Jerusalem, in first century Christianity. That attack is more powerful and prevalent today than it was even when John wrote these letters. The attack against truth. The statement that you can live however you want to live and do whatever you want to do and that you can still have this great, wonderful thing called Christianity. You can live however you want. Here's what I want to tell you. If you are a child of God, if you're a part of the body of Christ, if you believe that Jesus died and that he rose again, will you mess up and sin? Yes, but you do not need, should, could not, would not, better not, Continue to live in unrepentant sin because that does not flow with what it means to be a Christian. You cannot do whatever you want. Let me say that again. You cannot do whatever you want. You cannot do whatever the world says you can do. You cannot live like the world and still say, oh, I'm a, I'm a believer, I'm a child of God. And by the way, we've seen way too many churches full of people, way too many pastors who have stood on pulpits like this one and preached the gospel and preached the word of God and, and have proclaimed the truth of God and then in their private lives they've lived a totally different life. And how did that work out for them? You see, that's what John is saying. Like, like don't do that. Walk in obedience. Walk according to his commands. Love comes through obedience. But then he goes on to tell us in verses 7 and 9 that love, understanding, can be deceived and it can be destroyed. Even the love that God gives can be deceived, it can be destroyed. Look what it says in verses 7 through 9. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. We talked about that a moment ago. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, he says, so that you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. Again, he revisits the warning that he gave to us in 1 John, uh, the warning that, that he makes to, wants to make sure that we understand. Like, don't add anything to it and don't take anything away from it. You go back in the book of Deuteronomy, and, and the Word of God says the same exact thing. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away from it. Revelation chapter 22 that John himself wrote. In Revelation chapter 22, what does it say? It says this, don't you dare add anything to it or take anything away from it. Why? Because anything that you, anytime that you add something to the Word of God or take something away from the Word of God and you interject your own beliefs and your own teachings and your own preferences and your own desires, you're perverting the Word of God, you're perverting the gospel, and it will destroy. 
And that's what we see so prevalent in today's world. So John says, like, don't let that happen. Like, God gave you his word. He gave it to us in completion. It's that when that which is perfect has come. It's in our hands. We hold it today. It's inerrant. It's infallible. It's inspired. It's everything that you need to know how to live today and for the rest of your days until the day that you step into the presence of God. So quit trying to make it different than God gave to us. God gave it to us exactly the way that it is. So quit trying to change it. Because when you change it, you're not trying to be more like God. You're trying for God to be more like you. You're trying to uh, adapt his word into what you have in your own preferences and your own desires. And that's when things get messed up. That's what John says. Love can be deceived. It can be destroyed. But then he also under, makes us underscores and makes us understand that we've got to make sure we protect it, right? Love is to be protected. Look what it says, verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home and do not greet him for the one who greets him shares in his evil works. Now, I want to make sure you understand this. Back in the first century, it was normal for, uh, for people to welcome guests into their home, to stay in their home, to welcome pastors and teachers and rabbis, to welcome them into the home, to stay in their home. And the reason is because back in that time, like they did have like little hotels, little inns. Remember like in Bethlehem, like there was no room in the inn, right? There were inns back then, but they were not actually held in high regard. They were like seedy. They were kind of like a bad reputation. And if you were in the inn, like the people wondered, like, what are you doing? Because you should be staying with the body of Christ. You should be staying with people of, 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 of respect and people of a good reputation. And so what it says here is like, like, don't welcome them into your home. And then it says, like, don't even greet them. Now, that doesn't mean you can't say hi to them. It doesn't mean you can't be like nice to them. Because remember, even Jesus said, love your enemies, right? So that word Greece there, uh, uh, greet there, is the, the Greek word kairos, which literally is this idea of like a, a blessing or rejoicing in it. In fact, if you've got a King James Version with you, that passage in, uh, in verse, uh, let's see which one it is, verse 11 says, for the one who greets him shares in his evil works. It actually says, and if you are granting him or giving him God's speed. So in other words, you're putting your blessing upon them. That's the, the, the proper translation there. The idea like that when you are allowing false teaching to come in and then you are helping them, encouraging them, blessing them, allowing them to speak, you know, sharing in what they're doing, like that you're actually sharing and putting out false teaching, deception into the world. And so that's why he's like, don't even spend time with them. Don't greet them. Don't welcome them. Don't celebrate them. Don't rejoice them. Rejoice in them. And here's what's important about that. In today's culture, there are lots of churches that rejoice in and share in and celebrate in when someone gets up and preaches a message that is not from the word of God and leads people astray. It happens all the time. You see it on television, Christian television, all the time. Send me 10 bucks and you'll get 100 bucks back because that's who our God is. That idea that my dad always said, that people believe that God is this, you know, this holy, uh, you know, this, this holy um, slot machine. You know, you send him a little bit of money and he'll send you a whole lot back. You know, that's not at all. That is false teaching. And so this idea that like we, we celebrate them, we, re, we welcome them, we tolerate them. Don't tolerate. Truth is truth. And I've said this a bunch of times. Truth is truth and truth will never cease to be truth, right? So we've got to stand on what? truth. And so we've got to understand it's got to be protected. 
We've got to make sure that we are working hard to protect against what we know is happening. Why? Because we know, again, back to John, again, same writer, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John 10, 10, the thief, Satan, comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. Now, hey, listen, he wants to steal and to kill and to destroy in your personal life, but he also wants to steal and kill and destroy in, in the body of Christ, right? He wants to steal our reputation as a church. He wants to kill our effectiveness as a church. He wants to destroy our outreach as a church. Now, how can that happen? It can't happen because he's going to come in and knock the building down. Hey, we've got insurance. We'll build a new one, right? Don't give any ideas out there, but yeah, we could. We'll build a new one. Like, like, he can't do it that way, so how does he do it? He does it in us. He does it within the body of Christ, and that's how he destroys the effectiveness of the body of Christ. So, man, it's got to be protected. And here's the cool thing. He ends it with this. And love is the reward. Look in the verse, verse 12. Though I have many things to write to you, John says, I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face. And here's what you ought to underline in your Bible. So that your joy may be complete. Now, please don't think that John is some arrogant guy thinking that if I come and talk to you personally, that therefore you're going to have joy because I'm coming. That's not what he's talking about. When he says so that your joy may be complete, it's, he's talking about the idea of, hey, we together, we rejoice in and we celebrate and we worship the fact that our God reigns and that Jesus Christ is his son who came in the flesh and who died and he was buried and he rose again three days later and he ascended into heaven. And today he's at the right hand of the Father in making intercession for us. And that when we believe in Jesus, that the Holy Spirit of God then descends and comes and lives within us and guides us and walks us through everyday life. And that is where joy is found. Not in the stuff not in the false teaching, not in the bad doctrine, not in the trash of this world, but in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Guys, simple book, 13 verses, not a lot of words, not a lot of letters, but man, great truth. And kind of a synopsis of what is happening in today's world, in today's church. Basically, summarize. So church... Man, we have ex experienced the grace and the mercy and the peace that comes from God. And it comes from him because of his truth and of his love. So therefore, man, make sure you do what he tells you to do. And make sure that you don't let anything come in to destroy what is truth. Like fight against it, protect against it, push back against it. How do we do that? By knowing truth. How do we know truth? By spending time in his word. Oh, and then you do that. Oh, man, recognize this. That because of that, that that will give you the opportunity to protect against what the attacks are we know are going to come. And then, because of that, you will find joy that goes beyond anything that you could possibly imagine. That is the book of 2 John in about one paragraph. Which, by the way, he basically wrote it in one paragraph. And said it a lot better than I could. But man, what great truth. And I hope today, truth and love are what you will walk out of here with. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for even in short little books like we have shared today. God, that you give us such powerful, impactful truth that changes our lives. And God, I know there might be someone here watching or listening today that needs their life changed not by what I've said today, but by what you've done. And that is the fact that you love them 
that you sent your son Jesus to die for them and that he died for their sins and that he rose again three days later and by believing in Jesus today that they can have life, eternal life, salvation because of who you are and what you've done. God, I pray that today that is the decision that will be made. In a moment, we're going to stand together. We're going to sing. Our team is gathering here. We do this every week and we're going to keep doing it every week because when we hear the word of God that is living and it's powerful, we expect a response from the word of God. And so today, in a moment, we're going to stand, we're going to sing together. And when we do, I mean, I should encourage you, if you don't know Christ, if you don't like like 100% know, absolutely, man, I know him and I know what he's done for me. And I like, I, man, it's incredible. If you don't know that for sure, if you don't know that you are a child of God, that you've experienced that gift of salvation, today, man, our team would love to talk with you and pray with you about that. Maybe you want to come here, just kneel here and just pray and just kind of reaffirm, recommit that relationship. Maybe you want to come and join our church family, or maybe you want to come for baptism. Maybe you want to come and just pray for someone else that's going through a difficult time. Like, that's great. All incredible things. So whatever it is, we're going to stand right now. We're going to sing. Charles is going to lead us. And as we do, I just encourage you to step out right now, to make a commitment, to make a step, to do as what John tells us to do. Like, walk in his commands. What is his command? His command is this, is to obey him, to do what he tells you to do. And right now, if God is telling you to make a move, if God is telling you to respond, to make a decision, like, do it. Not because I said it, but because God did. Let's stand together. Let's sing. The altar's open. Today, we praise you for what you've done. God, we are amazed. We are overwhelmed. We're not worthy. We don't deserve it. We couldn't work enough to deserve it. But God, we are so grateful for the gift of your son, Jesus, that gives us life. And God, I pray that as we walk out of here today, we'll do exactly what your word tells us to do, to walk in truth and in love, to do what you've told us to do, to fight against that which attacks the truth of your word that we will stand up today and be counted as the body of Christ. And God, for that, we give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The altar remains open. We love to talk with you. Remember, if you want to talk to our team about serving, you can go straight across to Bruner Hall. There are people there that will help you with that. God bless you. Have a great day. 
Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this new journey of faith in Jesus Christ. Send an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, we're here to help you. Just reach out to us and we'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. If you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.